You're listening to the Fertility Docs Uncensored Podcast, featuring insight on all things fertility from some of the top-rated doctors around America. Whether you're struggling to conceive or just planning for your future family, we're here to guide you every step of the way. Welcome to Fertility Docs Uncensored. Uh, We are here today recording remotely which is a new experience for all of us, but with this uh, this terrible virus taking over, we're all keeping ourselves uh, nice and distanced from ourselves. I'm the producer of the show, Brady Thomas, and I'm joined here today with Carrie Bedian from the Fertility Center of Las Vegas. Hello. Then I've got Abby Eblin here from Nashville Fertility Center. Hey, guys. And then I've got Susan Hudson from Texas Fertility Center. Hello. Hello. So, ladies, we're all we're all here. We are recording remotely. This is a new experience. Last time we were together. We were all in a fun, nice Vegas hotel <laughs> recording together, but uh, it's a new world. It's a new new world for sure. How are you guys doing? Hanging in there. Very <laughs> grateful that uh, you know the kids are taken care of and that can keep going to work and doing what we need to do. For sure. What about you, Abby? How how are things going on your end? I'm happy to be here and happy to be healthy. And and you know, in Nashville, we had tornadoes about three weeks ago, and lots of people have no houses, and so I'm just trying to think about the things that I'm grateful for, my health and my home and my family. For sure. That's why I actually made a list yesterday of all the things I'm grateful for. And just because I feel like in these times right now, specifically, it's really easy to fall into this like pit of depression about everything going on, you know, so it's really important that we remember that. Now, uh, Dr. Hudson, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Um, it's it's a little bit different here. Um, as I, I've mentioned before, I, I do have three kids and they went on a cruise a couple weeks ago. And um, so they are actually on self-quarantine with my brother-in-law and sister-in-law in Houston um, while they're going through their 14 days so that they don't get anybody here sick and oh we don't God. share anything that we don't want to pass on to anybody else. My So wait, so you said it's been two weeks since you've been able to see them? Been two weeks. So lots of pictures, lots of FaceTime, but it's still not the same. Gosh. Well, Is that the I longest you've imagine. ever gone? Being away from them? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it'll be one more week before I get to see them. So um, some of the older ones, we've had like two-week camps or staying at grandparents or something like that for an extended period. But that it'll at three weeks, we will officially be at the top of what I've ever had to do without them. So... Oh, my gosh. That is awful. And so sorry that you're going to go through that. Well, but fortunately, everybody's healthy right now. So we're hoping we make it through the next seven days of everybody being healthy so that we can get together soon. Yeah, absolutely. Better to be safe, right? Especially especially in these times. Well, um, one thing I did want to mention to our audience, because we are recording remotely, there might be a few sound issues here and there. Please bear with us. We are working through the kinks. This is a new experience for all of us having to do this online. Um, but we today, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna be talking with all of the doctors about things that are kind of changing within the world of fertility and going to your fertility appointments due to this pandemic that we have going on. Um, ladies, I want you to go ahead and explain right now, what's the differences at your offices right now? What, what new tactics or strategies are you guys using to ensure that patients are healthy and safe? I think the one thing that across the nation, most of us are starting to do is work with telemedicine more than we ever thought possible. You know, so much of medicine is hands-on, face-to-face, um, and, and that 
part is so essential in fertility, especially, but we, we've really been able to grab onto some of the technologies that have been available that I, I don't think we've adequately used in the past. And, you know, just like everything else, I think we're, we're starting to discover new ways of doing things um, that are probably going to change the face of what we do for the future. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that, Susan. I took a class a couple of years ago, um, college class I was taking about telemedicine, and I was amazed at how much was out there that we could use and I really try to incorporate it a little bit into our practice in terms of teaching patients about IVF remotely, because like you guys, I'm sure we have a lot of people that come from a far distance. And it was honestly, it was really hard for it. It just didn't take off very well. I couldn't get the nurses kind of that teach the classes to be interested in it. And some of the patients were on board, but I think one of the positives that will come out of this because I think telemedicine will become a bigger part of our practice for sure. One of the things that we, we've we really embraced, I mean, my, my partners and I are all kind of public health nerds. And so one of the things we've been trying to do is how do we effectively minimize contact with the telemedicine? And, and one of the best ways that I've found to explain that is, so the, the nerd term is R not, and it's a capital letter R with a little zero next to it. And what that stands for is the number of people that can get infected per person who is infected. So for example, if, you know, Anna is infected and she comes in and is in a group of 10 people, then with this disease, two to three of those are going to walk away infected as well. And what we're trying to do is really flatten that out with the flatten the curve as much as possible. And so one of the best ways to explain that and why it's important is if you take just a regular piece of paper and you fold it in half, then that's easy. No big deal. If one person's infected and two more get infected, no big deal. That's just three people. Anybody can manage that. But when you keep folding and folding and folding, you can't fold any one piece of paper more than six, maybe seven times. By the time you get to that six or seven time, it is no longer manageable. You can no longer fold it, no matter how big the piece of paper was to start with or how strong you are. And so we're really trying to limit as much as we can the number of people who are here at any given time and of course all of the the cleaning procedures but we really want to make sure that we're we're cutting down on that because in order to stop a disease instead of an R not of two or three people who are infected you got to drop it down less than one and with this particular virus that's proving very hard to do right right you actually We've actually started doing simple things too, like the patients that do need to come to the office, we get their cell phone number and we have them wait in their car and we call them and tell them to come in when it's their turn to come back in the office. Um, we've also tried to limit the n- number of people that are with them. So we really only try and bring just the patient back in the office to you know limit the exposure to our staff as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and so there's, I know there's a lot of questions too about... Um, pregnancy and this virus. Um, Dr. Hudson, what would you say, is there any general information that you would provide to any women right now who are pregnant and are concerned or scared about the impact that this virus could have like on their health? Right. So what we know is, so this is not the first or the second or the third coronavirus that we've ever faced. It's actually the sixth coronavirus that our world has faced um, in modern times. And 
data is limited. So there are not huge long-term studies to say anything, but at this point, it does not seem that there are large risks to women who are currently pregnant. However, um, we know that um, women who are pregnant are immunosuppressed, so they are more likely to get certain types of infections. There's not a lot of data out there to support that that actually happens with coronavirus, but we know that pregnant women do tend to get sicker with things like the flu. So we have to be cautious of that. And I think probably the the one thing that um, is important to know is it does not appear to be vertically transmitted. So just because you may be pregnant, you are not passing it on to your baby in utero. However, if you deliver while you're actively sick with COVID-19, you could pass that to your newborn. And because of that, many places are... Um, rec- strongly recommending mother-baby separation if mother is positive or someone who is under investigation for COVID-19. And one of the biggest concerns with babies in particular is that they're so small, they haven't had a chance to get any vaccinations for sure before at least two months. And by the by that first two months of life, if they have any fevers, if they have any concern, that's a full workup and a full evaluation for that baby. That means blood work. That means a spinal tap. That usually means a minimum of 48 hours of IV antibiotics because they just don't have the system to fight it off in the same way that an adult does. And so, um, for that reason, even breastfeeding for a mom who is infected becomes a bigger deal because of course you are close to each other and it becomes a question of does a mom who has the virus need to pump and have a healthy caregiver give that bottle to the baby or does she just have to be extremely meticulous about wearing a mask and wearing um, gloves and washing hands and being protective and so um, it holds a, a pretty significant potential risk for babies even if the direct risk of transmission from a pregnant mom to a baby is low, um, there are definitely things to consider throughout that process. Right. Well, I think there's even a question too about the breast milk itself. It doesn't look like there's an issue with the breast milk, but just like other viral illnesses, we worry a little bit about even if a healthy caregiver gives that to the child, is that going to be transmitted to the baby? So I think those are all things we really just don't know right now. We won't know for some time. Right. Right. So, yeah. And I mean, I think that's the biggest thing with this virus is all of the uncertainty. There is so much uncertainty in regard regarding everything that it's just, you know, it's causing a lot of panic and, and concern and just we don't have the answers yet. Um, I am kind of curious. Obviously, all of our lives have changed pretty dramatically since this pandemic started happening. For you guys, how has your life changed the most? Like, what's the biggest thing either just in your personal lives or in within your practice that has changed? I think just coming to work has been extremely different. You know, I come into a packed city every day. It's almost been an eerie silence. There's very few cars, very few people, um, very few patients. Um, our office is usually really busy and bustling and act- active, and it's just, it's been really quiet. And, you know, very few patients actually in the office, which is our goal, because, you know, we've, we've done so much in terms of, you know, um, remote or telemedicine type, type conferences. So it's, 
it's, and it's been really sad because a lot of patients have really been excited to go through IVF and been excited to transfer embryos. And they're really concerned about whether or not they should do that. Right. So that's been a, a big stressor, I think, for a lot of our patients. Yeah. I think the biggest thing for me is just that overwhelming feeling that I think all of us have. Um, I mean, the, the feeling in my heart is the same feeling that I had when 9-11 happened or when the Gulf War happened. And I mean, I can remember those, you know, like they were yesterday, even though they were, you know, many, many years ago. But it's, it's that every, I think there is a degree of peace of knowing that everybody knows that it, we're all in this together, even though yes. we need to be separated, just as we are all separated right now. Um, but, you know, there, this is scary. But in the long term, there, there will be some um, wonderful things that humanity will come together for. 100%. That's what I've been telling myself that every day. It's like all of this is so terrible. But the side of humanity that we are seeing right now with all of us collectively coming together and trying to survive this and get past this together, we haven't had something like that since 9-11. You know, I mean, yeah. there, I mean even with the recession, it, it didn't you know, with the crash in 2008, it didn't feel like this. It didn't feel like everybody, go ahead. We weren't, we weren't all together on the same mission. And right. not only is our country coming together for that same mission, but our whole world is doing that. I have friends who are in Italy. I have friends who are in Denmark that I'm communicating with. And um, it's, it. even though we have that distance, it, in some ways, as crazy as it sounds, it's bringing us closer together. Yeah, absolutely. Which I think is a necessity right now because I think we were becoming very separated. And so I think in in this way that it is kind of bringing us back together is like, you know, we have all these differences and we have all these different opinions, but at the end, we're all humans and we're all just here trying to help each other survive, you know, which, and uh, uh, Carrie, I wanted to, to ask you, you were telling us the other day about um, what you do when you get home and how you've had to turn the garage into a <laughs> zone where you just strip down. Tell, tell us about that. So one of the biggest things that's changed for us is we're a, we're a two-doc family. My husband is an intensive care physician for kids and uh, he is at a hospital where there's known cases in the adult ICU. And of course, he's exposed all the time by virtue of what he does as well as... Um, as well as me being exposed by virtue of seeing the number of people that we do. And so even though both of us are cutting down on that as much as we can, I mean, I have found myself calling construction companies and calling neighbors who I know have done construction on their house recently to say, hey, do you have any N95 masks that you can give us? Because my husband has been using the same mask for the past four calls. And that what that amounts to is each call is 30 hours that he spends in the hospital. So that's 120 hours, which is about three weeks of time that he has been using the same mask. And it's because he doesn't have anything else that's available. And so what we do when we get home um, and, and before we go to work is I wear three different sets of clothes a day. I wear the set of clothes that I wear at home. I wear the set of clothes in the car and walking into the office and then and from the office back home. And then I have a set of clothes that I wear at the office. And when we get home every day, we essentially <laughs> drop trow in the garage and strip down, leave our shoes out there. We've got a laundry basket out there and walk into the house with as little as possible, wash hands as soon as we get in. Um, 
you know, for my husband, he tends to go just straight up to the shower and clean. Um, I tend to stay pretty covered. Like I wear a different set of shoes in the office. I keep my, um, my head cover, um, like my scrub cap for the OR on pretty much all the time to try and minimize. And, and it's definitely different. I mean, we, we strip down before we walk in the house every single time because we've got two little kids and we don't want to infect them and we don't want to infect each other. We are probably more strict than many other families about no contact period with anyone else that we can avoid besides trips to the grocery store because we know that between the two of us, we're a lot higher risk than your average family. Right. Right. Well, and I think you're doing that because the the virus can be transmitted on clothing, in hair. It's and and I don't know that everybody knows that. So the virus, they've they've started to do some studies and see, okay, how long can the virus last on any given surface? And it certainly lasts the longest on plastics and stainless steel is close behind. That can be, you know, several days. Um, copper is the lowest risk, which I never realized before, but now it's all of a sudden makes sense why copper cooking wear is so um, so popular, especially in really nice restaurants where they can do that because it cuts down on infection and bacteria. But um, when they look at it, it can remain on clothing and of course it can remain on skin. And so part of what the concern is, like if you look at uh, a standard desk, for example, it's typically got kind of that hard plasticized cover to it. Um, even if it's a wooden desk, they've, they've got that vinyl type cover. And so if someone coughed and transmitted the virus using droplets three days ago, and that droplet is still there, then there's the possibility that just by touching it, you could get it um, and have it on your skin. And then you put it, you know, you transmit it to a doorknob that somebody else touches or you touch your face. And especially with eyes and mouth and mucous membranes, you can have a higher risk of getting it. So that's one of the things that makes this just so unfriendly and such a nasty little survivor of a virus is that it can last for that long. Yeah. My gosh. Is there anything else that you guys have heard about that you haven't heard that much about on the news? You know, is there any information about the virus that you can tell our audience, whether it's, you know, preventative tactics or I guess that's all I'm asking. (laughs) Is there anything, is there any piece? I know that we're all kind of like relying on different sources for this information. um, But because you guys are all in the medical community, that's what I'm kind of wondering is if you're hearing something that we're not aware of yet in terms of preventing it or in terms of spreading it that people may not know of. Is there anything you guys can tell us? I I don't know. This is just something that I heard on the news just the other day that I was surprised about. But it appears that, you know, we all have heard about these people who are asymptomatic. So they're infected, but they don't have the cough. They don't have the fever. They don't have the muscle aches. And that actually viral shedding may be higher in those individuals than even people who are um, who seem ill to the rest of us. So that's why the social distancing is even more important. You know, I have to admit, Brandy, over the last few days, I've watched the news a little bit more than I normally would, but I'm almost to the limit where I just can't watch it anymore. It's, I think, I think it is getting into my psyche a little bit. And, you know, I, it kind of brought back memories of like, 
I mean, I guess the things that are fearful are the things that we don't understand and we don't know and we try and get more information, which I think is one of the ways emotionally to kind of deal with stress. But it kind of made me think too, back to, you know, when I had infertility, you know, part of this, and so I I think our patients may actually be uniquely qualified to handle this type of stress because, you know, all the time they're dealing with stress of, am I going to be pregnant? Is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? They're worried about the financial aspects of it. And so it's just this big unknown thing. And, you know, it kind of, at times it gets better emotionally and at times it gets worse. And so I actually think our infertility patients are uniquely qualified to, to cope with and deal with all the stress of what's going on with COVID-19. And now sort of the rest of the world has come in and realizes how challenging it is to deal with something that you can't really put your mind around and you really don't have specifics about and you don't know when it's going to end. Right. That's that's a really interesting perspective. I've been saying, I feel like I'm overqualified for this because I, I work from home. I've been isolated my entire life. This is like my time to shine, you know, <laughs> but no, that's an interesting, that's an interesting thought is in people who are struggling with infertility have been dealing with the stress of the unknown for so long that it's, it's like their mind is already equipped in a way to handle it, which, and with that, is there anything that you guys would recommend for people who are still dealing with that stress of infertility and now dealing with the stress of this, or even people who are pregnant and wanting to make sure that they don't get too stressed out from this? Is there anything that you guys would recommend for maintaining kind of a more level mindset? I would say take a little step back, go and again, try to do some of those things that you enjoy doing that will still keep you safe in the meantime. But, you know, really take advantage of this time to go do something that you haven't done in a while. And because I think all of us have a little bit more time on our hands than what we actually need um, because we're not going and doing and running the rat race. And so taking advantage of that and knowing that this, this will pass. It absolutely will pass. We are going to make it through this. Um, and this virus will not continue like this forever and we'll go from there. I think it's important for a lot of our fertility patients in particular to remember that fertility doesn't drop off a cliff in one month or two months time. And so, yes, this has put a big hold on what we're doing uh, in many cases and trying to limit the amount of procedures we're starting and those types of things to, to protect some of our healthcare workers who are truly on the front lines and protect the availability of equipment for them and, and staff for them. But fertility doesn't just fall off in, in two months time. Waiting a month or two in some cases is a very... Um, is a huge blessing because it means you get a bit of a brain break and your fertility status is highly unlikely to change in the space of a couple of months. And so it's okay to take a pause. That's a really good point. And Abby, what about you? Was there anything that you would recommend? Well, what I was going to say too is, you know, I'm a warrior, worrier and a lot of our patients worry a lot as well. And I think sometimes when we get really wrapped up in something. I let myself worry for about five minutes about it. I think about all the things that could happen. And then after that, I'm like, okay, I'm done with it. I'm not going to think about this until tomorrow. And so maybe that's a little bit of denial, but I think it's a way to keep yourself from sort of having those continual thoughts about, oh my gosh, what if this happens? I'm like, you know, you have a place in time in your day that you've set aside to let yourself worry. And then the rest of the day, you know, you got to just tell yourself you're going to enjoy it and have fun and do things that help you relax. That's a really good point too. And which on that note, to anyone listening, 
take it from me. Do not use your time to worry. Do not set that to be at night. That is uh, what I've been doing. <laughs> I haven't gotten sleep in a week. So, you know, uh, yeah, that's, but I, I do, I think that's, that's really valuable advice to kind of let yourself worry for a little bit, but then put a stop to it and move on and, and keep continuing your life. It's okay to give yourself permission to do that because we're human. This is how we deal with things, but keeping it in balance. Yes, for sure. Well, this has been super informative. I hope for our audience, thank you so much for dealing with any of the audio issue issues that we had. Um, we're going to keep on doing these recordings and with all three of these amazing doctors and they'll be keeping you updated on any new developments uh, in regards to this virus and, and fertility and everything. Um, so it, was there anything that you ladies wanted to leave our audience with? Stay safe and be well. Hang in there. This too shall pass. Maybe like a kidney stone. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's Absolutely. We will yes. get through this. We will. For sure. Well, thank you so much, ladies. It was great talking to each of you. And I'm sure we'll uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks, Brandy. All right. Have a good day. Good luck out there. See you soon. You too. Bye.